I think you can actually meet somebody, you don't even know who they are, but just the way they talk and the way they act, you kind of get the feeling that they're probably good artists. Somebody uses the word rigor, but there's people who are just in, intuitively um, engaged in what they're doing and that they're, uh, they're doing it because they're interested in doing it and not doing it because they want to be rich and famous. And so I was uh, always lean towards artists uh, who were sort of were like that. Um, they were less interested in, in, in the career aspects and more interested in, in what they were doing in their studio. You can be a really good artist and, and, and lose interest in it because you need to make money for raising a family. I think there are a lot of really bad artists that, that um, know how to hustle and promote themselves and they get, and they get things happening for them that way. So I, I think that something about, there are students that you just feel a relationship or an akin, you know, just something about them that their work seems like the real thing. So, uh, and then maybe they don't even know it. And I don't say so. I just, I can just let them work and see what happens. It doesn't come easy if, it, if, if, if somebody thinks they're doing their best work in, in uh, art school or uh, they're crazy and like, no, that's not real. They're not supposed to be making good art. They're supposed to be trying things out. And so if they're kind of trying to come up with a package at that point in their lives, I'd be very suspicious of that. things are my the students in one of my classes mimicked my work and made work like mine and showed it in a class as a joke I was it was very it really surprised me and then they they got it off my website and we do I do advanced painting did an advanced painting class and they do critiques we do group critiques and so they bring in their work and then they put it up on the wall and we talk about it and so they came in with this work and they put it up on the wall and it all sort of started looking like things related to things that I was doing and it was really strange and I didn't catch it right away and they were just watching so then to watch me kind of catch on to what they were doing but it's um, thought it was very funny Abstract work isn't the most popular thing for uh, people to uh, collect because it's so um, difficult to look at and understand. So people are more inclined to go for things that are more colorful, more decorative, or figurative. So I think that um, wanted to make work that was functional somehow. I mean, I think that I didn't want to do a lot of decorative work. I wanted to do work that uh, felt like everything in, in it needed to be there. And it was more reductive, perhaps. And I didn't think of it as, as minimal painting. And it ended up being more sort of geometric. Over time, I got more familiar with it after seeing, looking at other people's geometric abstract work. The work evolved. When I moved to LA, from LA to New York in 1977, I got more interested in the picture, the, the pic, pictorial aspects of art, uh, painting rather than sort of the object or the process. I guess I was way more interested in process in Los Angeles. The process became the subject of what I was doing. 
and um, the image uh, in, in New York, there's a long history of image making. Uh, a lot of even the abstract expressionists and all that stuff was sort of had a lot to do with figure ground relationships and things like that. I started linking my work up with things that I'd like to have but couldn't afford. And then I would make these abstractions of, the, of them. And then that's how the, they were like, became more pictorial. Uh, there was like objects, like I was, if I liked a chair and I couldn't afford it, I would paint the chair, make it abstract, and then that took the, the uh, interest away in actually owning the chair. Well, and as a, it was, I could make it abstract and make it um, or sort of more non-representational. And so it, uh, they became these like, like more formal shapes and stuff like that. But it, was, it had a look that was pretty eccentric. The surfaces changed. They were painted heavily the way a lot of abstract expressionists painted, but it was very hard edge and geometric, which was different. So it, it caught people's eye. And so I just continued doing that for a long time, I was like, like trying to perfect it, and not all the things that I wanted looked really good. I mean, how do you paint a sunroof on a car? <laughs> Which I did, but it didn't, it didn't look very, it, did, it was very awkward. But sometimes it's the awkwardness that was sort of, uh, was interesting about it. A lot of mundane things. It wasn't all things that I wanted, much more things that I uh, admired or I thought that were, looked nice or something. I also wanted it to reflect what was going on today, kind of, and sort of, and so I felt like it was sort of outside of, outside of uh, being a formalist painting. It was more about the relationship of looking like something recognizable and yet also being kind of abstract at the same time, so that uh, people may not know what they were looking at. That's just sort of how things evolved, I'd say, into the into the '80s, through the '80s. Uh, into the 90s, I sort of, I felt like it was like I needed to do something different and I couldn't quite figure out what to do. I tried um, a lot of very sort of more cluttered imagery, I suppose. I, I just tried a lot of different things and none of it really made a lot of sense. And so it was a very kind of hard time after that. I've always uh, painted, I started doing printmaking um, I got uh, opportunities to make prints with um, printers and I had a publisher who uh, asked me to do it and so I did a lot of etchings and would sort of these aqua tints etching, etchings and with one printer and, and then these sort of these woodcut type uh, images with a, a different uh, operation. So, um, I, you know, and I was always, the paint, the prints always sort of echoed what I'd already done in the paintings, but they also sort of, by doing them somehow, I was really trying to go someplace else. Now I look at paintings 
that I've done, and I say, yeah, but I think this would be, it'd be better if I did it this way. And so I would redraw, I would sort of sketch something out. What happens is you get something in your head, and the only way you can see if it's going to work or not is to do it. So I took a picture up in Cape Breton of this house on a cliff overlooking the ocean, and it's half built. And uh, there's something about the uniqueness of the location, the mundaneness of the house, and then it's got a door and, and, and window. So there's a kind of a formal two windows, two up top, one here, and then a door. And somehow I keep reusing, going back to that four rectangles. And I, can, I got into superimposing one image over another image. I thought I would do paintings, two-for-one type paintings. I got interested in the idea of sort of multitasking while you're looking at art so that you can look at two things at the same time. And so if I started using images, old images in new situations sort of, uh -huh. or parts of old images in a, new, in a new element. So I have a lot of these paintings I've made over 15 years with this window image motif. And I was like, okay, I did one, I'm gonna stop doing it for a while. But it doesn't mean I won't go back to that at some point. And then I got interested in doing, I don't know, other images in, in similar ways. I was interested in doing um, furniture, so I was superimposing furniture over maybe sort of some sort of a, a composition, a, a formal composition of two colors or something like that. I'm trying to come up with a body of work that I really, really care about. You know, and really uh, want like every single piece. And that's sort of hard to do. And five years from now, I could look at a painting and not like it. As much as five years from now, I could look at a painting I hated and really like a lot. So you have to be kind of careful destroying things if, if, or, or getting rid of things or something, or keeping them or not. I did that a couple of times with paintings. I did that with two other paintings. I call them combos. And so, so there's a combo one, two, and three. And that was a way of repurposing uh, paintings. It was kind of interesting. Then when I was destroying paintings, I would cut them up into pieces so they'd fit in a trash bag, a trash can. But I, uh, then I thought, well, maybe what it would look like if I took all those cut up pieces and put it back together again. And I got really intrigued with that. I showed one in a faculty show here. I mean, it was like a passing novelty, sort of, but it was a very, very funny painting to me because it looked like a painting that exploded, or like, you know what happens to airplanes when they crash and they get all the pieces and they put them back in a warehouse, reassembled, well, that's what this painting looked like. It was all put together with push pins. And so I thought, well, this is a great way to save these paintings because I, now they just go, they can take them apart and number them and I can fold them up and put them in, a, in an envelope and store them flat someplace and they don't take up any space. So I did, I saved some of those, but um, I, now it wasn't, I wasn't really uh, what I was after. So I've gone back to making these very small paintings and with some of the scraps from the old paintings, I would like glue them down onto the canvas as a way of building up the surface and having like a groove in them. The whites were actually grooves. 
so they were negative space that went down to the first level of canvas so that it didn't look like a collage but it was a collage uh, approach but it also um, gave the painting some physicality that I liked. I guess what happened is that the painting started seeming very flat all the time and I wanted them to feel more somehow more have more objectivity to them somehow. That was part of the duality I think was uh, being able to make something that was flat and to make something that was sort of illusionistic at the same time, something object. So now I'm really, really interested in this terms fiction nonfiction because uh, which is the name of a gallery that I remember in Soho that somebody had. Jose Ferrer has his first gallery was called fiction nonfiction. And I know it's, uh, it's sort of a literary uh, thing. But I see it as a, a re relating to paintings, in that the, paint, the, the fiction part of the painting is the illusion, and the nonfiction part's the objectivity of it. <clears throat> so I think that that's where I'm really interested in that approach to, to making paintings. This has been a conversation with retiring arts faculty Andy Spence. To read more about Andy, check out the summer 2015 issue of the Bennington Magazine. And also thanks to Bennington student Webb Crawford for providing the music bed under this piece.